I've been just waiting for the opportunity to use that commercial <laughs> in this series that uh, the cover of your bulletin shows. We have a virtual reality um, device, but I thought it fit best in today's message titled, Anxiety and Your Faith. Anxiety and Your Faith. We're in Matthew chapter 6, the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a copy of the Bible, open it up there. We're in the last part of Matthew chapter 6. And before we read these verses, let me kind of set this up for us here this morning. I think I've said this before. I can't remember if it's on Thursday morning with, uh, with the guys or here. But the Sermon on the Mount, this, I don't know, maybe this is true of all the Bible, but certainly the Sermon on the Mount is, needs to be read and thought through sort of sequentially. He's building an argument, right? We do it in, you know, 13 weeks or whatever. Jesus, maybe he did, you know, he's so much a better teacher than I and us, uh, humanity. Um, he might have done it all in an afternoon. But it's a building an argument. And last week he was talking about One of the two great hindrances to the experience of life that God has come to give us, right? We don't all experience the Christian life the same. Oh, that we would, right? And part of it is we don't understand it that well, and we don't understand what gets in the way. And two big things, or one of the two big things that gets in the way, is putting your security in money and what money can buy. It's not just a 21st century problem. It's been a problem for a long time, and Jesus spent a lot of time talking about it. And he ended up last week at the end of this great sermon on uh, money or being warning about the role that money and what money can buy with us with these great words. You know, you cannot serve God and money. He doesn't say you can't have money, you can't spend money, you can't enjoy money. He's saying you cannot serve it, right? You cannot serve it. But at the root of the money question is the anxiety question. And Jesus moves on to that here. Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34. Follow along as I read. Therefore, okay, just got done talking about the great money sermon. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The uh, basic definition, I would say, uh, you, you, I think most of us could, could say this, of, 
of anxiety. What is anxiety? Worry, the words used worry or anxiety, depending on the translation you have. It's used six times in these 10 verses, right? The basic definition is a sort of a, you might say, an unease that you might have, a nervousness that you might have either about an event, past or future, or about some outcome, right? Some uncertain outcome, you know, about a relationship or about an expenditure or about a job situation, a health situation. It's an unhealthy rumination about an event, right? We, and Jesus isn't saying don't think about your life, don't plan for your, your days. That's not what he's talking about. It's an unhealthy rumination about an event, something that happened. Maybe it was a year ago, maybe it was 20 years ago. And you still can't stop. It's still eating up cycles of your life all the way to the day in today. It's an unhealthy rumination about something in the past or an obsessive worry, obsessive worry about some kind of outcome. What will happen if? Will she say yes? Will he say no? Will I get the job? Will I get into that college? Will, is the weather going to happen this way or that way? You know, am I going to make it? The National Institute of Health, I read a bunch of stuff in preparation for this sermon, but the National Institute of Health put out a, 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 a large uh, study a couple years ago that said generalized anxiety, okay, in differentiating it from sort of more acute disorders. There's a lot of disorders in, in, in what we call, uh, you know, in anxiety. But the generalized anxiety, the kind of stuff I'm talking about here today, is the number one mental health disorder in America, and it covers approximately one-third of all people, students, and us, one-third of the entire country that we live in. And that number, to the degree they can measure it, people are on whether they're, you know, whether it's through medication or, or through counseling, how they actually measure this, that that number has been on the rise since 2011 to our very day, okay? Various reasons. Now, why talk about it? Why is Jesus talking about it? Why does he care so much whether or not I spend a good amount of my time ruminating on something in the past that keeps dragging its way into my future or I'm focused on, so I'm very concerned, I'm sitting here today but I'm really thinking about some uncertain outcome of tomorrow. He does because the life that he's offering you is all about living in the present. And when I spend my time, I'm not saying you shouldn't think about things, uh, that, about in the past or you shouldn't be concerned about things in the future they shouldn't be part of your everyday processing I'm talking about an over focus but when I over focus right on things in the past on events or I'm over focused on some uncertain outcome in the future I'm robbing my life in the present where God the great I am it's his name by the way does his best work in the present. And the life that he is, that you've always wanted and dreamed somewhere is true. The life that we think is true, but that we're not living, it's lived in the present with God. And he is calling you, not from the past regrets or from the future uncertainties. He's calling you in the present saying, come sup with me. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Jesus is calling us there, but... He encourages us. He calls us to thought before he calls us to action. Right? The antidote to anxiety is the providence of God. He calls us, I want you to think about this for a minute, to thought. You know, anyone that ever said to you the Christian 
the Christian faith is not a thinking man's faith, doesn't know very much about the Christian faith, doesn't know very much about the word of God, right? It's very much a thinking man and thinking woman's faith. And Jesus calls us to thought. Look at the birds of the air, right? Think about them. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And, then, and think about the economic language he's using too. Same with the flowers because it's part of the big money issue. Say, listen, birds, you know, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't, they're not overly focused on production, they're not overly focused on storing things up, right? That's not what their focus is, but your heavenly Father who created them as well as created you <laughs> takes care of them. They're not, they're not so production um, and, and results oriented, and you shouldn't be either, right? He's making what is called in rhetoric anyway, uh, a fortiori argument, which is really just saying an all the more argument. It's very straightforward rhetoric in Jesus' day saying, listen, if God cares about your body, if God cares about your life, if you believe that, that God who created you cares about your life, then isn't it, doesn't it stand to reason that the things that are, less, are, 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 are sort of lesser than your clothes, you know, your, your food, your shelter, that if he cares about your, your actual life, he cares about these accessories in your life. And if God cares about the natural kingdom, the birds, and he cares about the flowers, and, and, you know, this might offend some of us in here, but verse, uh, it's his Jesus words, not mine. Verse 26, he cares more about them than, he cares more about you than them. Does God care about the animal kingdom? He does. Does he care about the flora and the fauna? He does. But he cares about you more, okay? He cares about you more. So he's, he's all for, you know, Rover and, uh, and, and whatever, okay? He's not against that, but he cares about you more than he cares about them. Look at Genesis chapter 1. It's on purpose. The great creation chapter, right? It comes up to a great crescendo. Not in the sun, not in the moon, not in the stars, not in the animal kingdom. But then he said, and we will create man and woman in my image, and they shall rule, and they shall subdue, and they are made in my image, Right? If God cares about the natural world, how much more does he care about you? Okay, that's what Jesus is saying. And when you and I act as if he doesn't care, right, we're offending his love. That's what Jesus is saying. And you're wasting your life. Now, before we, let me say this too. Cody mentioned a minute ago, talked about you know, visitors and even people in this room today. Someone could look at this, maybe if you haven't been in church a while, and you say, you know, this, these are just beautiful sounding words, uh, Rob. They're, they're, they're great, you know. Uh, uh, look, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, and your father, love, that's wonderful, but who believes that, right? I mean, you'd have to have your head in the sand to believe. What is Jesus saying? I don't think, he, what is, he's not saying that, you know, food just drops from the sky when you need it. He's not saying that there are not people in the world that go hungry because there are. Okay? The birds are not models to be imitated. It's not what Jesus is saying. They're powerful symbols of the providence of God, right? He's calling us to thought before we... Jesus is not guaranteeing a trouble-free life, right? It's not the Christian gospel. But he's attempting to his disciples, to you and me, to free us 
from an over-focus, an over-concern, an over-functioning on what we might not have and what we do have as places of security in our life. Because when we focus on them, when they eat up our energies, he's not saying I don't love you. He's not saying you're going to hell. He's saying you're wasting your life. And I'm sitting here right in the presence saying let's do life together, right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's inviting us to. Romans 8, 28, a very popular verse of scripture about the providence of God. Listen carefully. And we know, he's talking again to believers, that in all things, oh, I, it, it, couldn't it be some things? No, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That means in bad things and hard things as well as in good things. Do you believe that? Why is it important that I need to know the providence of God is that in all things, right? That's what Paul's getting at. Read the whole chapter sometime at your leisure. He's saying, listen, there's a lot of things in life that don't make, let me tell you, the smartest person in this room intellectually and emotionally mature and, and, and education. The smartest person in this room knows a little bit about their past. There's a lot about your past that you are, that is, that is, that is inexplicable to you. I'm talking about your family, right? There is a lot about your past that you, is inexplicable. You still have not figured out over all these years why mom and dad treat this, you know, you one way and your brother and sister the other way. You don't know about your, 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 your family of origin. And there's a lot about your future, most of it, that you don't know very much about either, right? That's true of every person in this room, right? So Jesus is saying, listen, if you're spending a lot of your time, then you're a fool. But you can, you can, you can anchor your life in the God who created you, who created everything around you, who also, if you believe it, loves you. And you can trust him more with these uncertain, um, weighty things in the past and the uncertainties of the future and live in the present, right? That's what he's talking about. Think about, and he's saying, are, are you, do you have the courage to do that? In all things, Right? God's purpose for your life today, think about this, providence of God, may have no visible connection to the present circumstances in your life. God's purpose, Romans 8, 28, if you believe God has a purpose, he's, he, he, um, we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good to those who love him and are called according to a purpose in your life. But God's purpose in your life may have no visible connection whatsoever to your present circumstances today, right? So can you learn how to trust him there? Because if you can't, if you say, no, if I can't see it, then I'm going to start worrying about it. You're going to miss the purpose of your life. And you're going to miss the quality of life he's offered you. Think about Joseph very quickly. Some of you know this story. Some of you don't. It's okay. The latter part of the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. Joseph gets this dream about God's purpose for his life. We don't all get it like he did, but his was clear. In fact, he got it a couple times, and it was clear. And this, this, this dream that he had from God, confirmed twice, shared with others, was about God's purpose for his life. And he knew it to his bones, and he communicated to his family. He was a 17-year-old kid at the beginning of his life. Okay, Almost as soon as the words came out of his mouth, 
If the dream was represented this location, his life went this way uh, one year, one decade after another. Almost everything that happened to him was going in the wrong direction. And when he finally, Genesis 49, 50, the end of the book, first book of the Bible, when he finally sees his brothers who he hasn't seen in a very long time, he looks them in the face and everything comes together. And he says, wow. He's so overwhelmed with emotion. He says he had to leave the room before he revealed his identity because he was so much older and his brothers. And he, he said the people in Egypt could hear him wailing because he was so overwhelmed with putting pieces together. The hard things, the difficult things, in all things, God works together for good. And in that moment, he came together and he looked at his brothers and he said, you intended to harm me. You intended to harm me. But God meant it for good, for the saving of many lives. You know, how, you know, how, you know the difference between the day of the dream and the realization of the dream? 22 years, okay? The antidote to anxiety is the providence of God. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't, there, the, the, the amount of things that you don't know, even about your own life, forget about the world at large, it's laughable. Do you believe that God knows all things? When God looks at this, God, God looks at past, present, and future. Let's say they're represented in this, on this plat, in this piece of paper. He sees them all at the same time. I don't. I don't see, I see past, then I see present, I think about future, and even then I don't even understand them all. He sees them all as a block, right? And he loves you. The antidote to anxiety is the providence of God. Second, God cares about the little things too, okay? Remember the audience of this sermon. I'm gonna talk about this one. It's the disciples, we looked at it. Read, read chapter 5, verse 1. Were other people in the audience? I guess. People could have been standing around. We don't know. But it's very clear. Jesus comes, repent for the kingdom of God is in hand. It's his fancy way of talking about life as it's meant to be lived under his authority. So when you think of the kingdom of God. What should life look like? What could life look like if I wasn't spending all of my time ruminating over some past issue or failure or regret? And what might look like if I wasn't focused on some uncertain outcome? If I lived in the presence under the authority of God with a deep trust in God, right? Not some, you know, snap a finger, make, sign a commitment card. I mean, every day, in breathing and out breathing, trusting him, right? What could life look like? That's what he's talking about. And he's talking to his disciples. But he calls them in verse uh, 30, uh, 30, I guess it is, that they have little faith. Oh, you have little faith, right? He says, you got faith, but it's a little faith. Now, what does he mean when he says the disciples have a little faith? At least if I'm looking at this passage. This is what I think he means. They have faith, but it's very circumscribed. And I think this is true for a lot of us, right? A lot of, you know, I, I, I've been a pastor, uh, you know, for 20-some for years and a Christian for 30-some years, and I'm still figuring this out. And I say to myself, well, listen, let me tell you what God cares about. He cares about the spiritual matters. He cares about sin. And I'm still, you know, there's sin in my life, whether it's, you know, thoughts or, or fears or pride or whatever the case may be. And every day I got to come to God and I, and I know it's important. 
Create in me a clean heart. Renew a fresh spirit within me. And God, forgive me. And I do that, and I think that's what God cares about. And God also cares about strength and temptation. You know, I got temptation in my life. We all do. The Bible talks about it, and God cares about it, and I pray for strength. And, and I need to also share my faith and be honest about who I am as a Christ follower, as Cody was saying. And I pray for courage, right? So I said, this is what God cares about. He cares about forgiveness. He cares about temptation. And he cares about courage. But these other material matters, right? What I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink, what, I'm gonna, what my work problems. See, God doesn't care about that. That's my responsibility, Right? There's where I need, I need to take control in these matters because these matters are, are too small for God. Okay? This is what Jesus is saying. The command in verse 1 and in verse 34, if we take this seriously, is what he says. Therefore, do not worry about your life. Okay? Think about that for a minute. If you're a serious person here this morning, if you, if you, if you, if you, this is a, this is the words from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Do not worry about your life. Verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow. Now, the only way that you and I can even get close to responding in, in a, in a real way to that verse is if we don't just take the spiritual matters, but we take all the matters and we put them before God. Because God knows something about you that you know, and, and I know, that we don't think he that, 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 that most of what we think about are the material matters of everyday life, okay? Some of you might be thinking about some sin struggle in this room. Some of you might be thinking about a need for courage in this room. But most of what's going on, if we could have a visual of what's going through our minds and hearts in a day, they're what you eat, what you drink, what you, you know, the work problems that you might have, the relationship problem. That's where you live your life. And Jesus says, unless you're going to make those things a matter of faith, unless you're going to be willing to believe that God cares about the little things too, well, then your faith isn't going to, it's not going to do a whole lot for you. You're going to spend, your faith's going to be really living, it's going to be turned on for, you know, a couple hours of a day and the rest of the time it's all about you. And all of those time on your heart clock and your mind clock where you're just managing your life and you're, and you're reaping and you're sowing and you're storing because you think that's your job, you're wasting your life. And the great I am is saying, where are you? Don't worry about those things, okay? God cares about the little things too. Two quick verses of scripture. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares... All your anxiety, excuse me, on him because he cares for you. Now watch this. Cast all your anxiety. Oh, it's, just the, it's just these more spiritual matters. No, all of it. So if you have anxiety that is an unease, an overfocus on certain things in your life, if you want to live this first out, you got to throw. You know what the word cast, a def, definition says? I love this. I'm sure Peter, the writer, used this on purpose. It says to forcefully throw something. Right? It's almost like you know you some somebody jumped on your back, right? You know that fear just like cast your, all your anxieties. Not only does he want to take them, but because he cares for you, right? Philippians four six and seven, familiar verses of scripture. Do not be anxious. Now watch this about anything. Who could say something so bold? 
Do not be anxious about anything. That's not saying you shouldn't have concerns or thoughts about things in your life. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about an over-anxiety. He's talking about something that's eating up too much time of your life. That's what he's talking about. Do not be anxious about anything. Watch this. But in every situation... Well, God doesn't care about this. God doesn't care about my big test coming up. God doesn't care about my, uh, the fact that I'm, uh, I don't have anything to do Friday night. God doesn't care about the fact that I'm, I can't make ends meet. No, in every situation, by prayer and petition, son or a daughter to a father. Now watch this, with thanksgiving, make your request. Now why does he throw it in? He's saying, listen, you gotta believe it enough. You gotta, you gotta thank God for it even when the answer might take 20 Two years to show up, okay? With thanksgiving, present your request to God. You want to know what it means to be a graduate Christian? This is it, guys. This is it. This is what Jesus is saying. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding. It's a fancy way of saying when it doesn't match up with what's going on in your life, Okay? will guard your heart and your mind. Listen, you can't have verse seven unless you practice verse six, okay? Anxiety, or excuse me, the antidote to anxiety is the providence of God. God cares about the little things too, okay? It's time to open up your aperture a little bit. And lastly, God's will, according to this passage, is life's chief ambition. Now, what do I mean by that? Jesus is granting in this passage this famous verse, seek ye first the kingdom of God. I think he wants to say this. Jesus knows that all people are seekers. Every person. Why does he know that? Because it's part of being created. All people, students, young, old, right? No matter who you are, all people are created for a desire for meaning in life. Right? You don't have to be very old to want to have meaning in life and, and want significance in life. You want your life to matter. God put it in there. Listen, ambition is not a sin. Here's what Jesus is saying. Small ambition is a sin. That is making your own aim in life, your personal success, what life is all about. That's too small. Right? That's what he's saying. Jesus is not squashing ambition. He's elevating it. Right? The genuine faith that's being called for here. It's really a call to faith in response to anxiety. The genuine faith that's being called for here is not the spiritual over the material. It's not the inward over the outward. It's God's will over your own. Okay? It's, why is that so important? Because God's so smart and God has all the power? No. Because as the old song says, you know, he holds the world in his hands. The only person who can see with perfect clarity your past and understand it. You still don't understand it. I still don't understand it. I'm still stumbling over things that are 30 years old in my own life, right? The only person that sees your past and understands it and the only person that sees your future and understands it, there's only one person. It's God, right? And he's saying, listen, you won't trust me if you don't like me, if you think I'm a hard man, if you think I'm, 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 you know, I'm just out to harm you or to get you. That's, that's a, if, if, if you don't see him as a heavenly father 
who knows what you need before you ask him, who has the beauty and the, and the intelligence to create the fauna and the flora and the animal kingdom and all the things that you and I love about this natural world. And he said, listen, that's nothing compared to you. I'll throw all that in the fire. Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these, these beautiful flowers that are here today and they're thrown into the fire the next day. How much more do I love you? See, if that love gets a hold of your life, if you can live out of that love, then he says, you can trust me, right? That's what he's talking about because then his will can be met. What does it mean that, you know, um, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God? We talked about this. It's, it's, it's God's authority. It means that everything comes before him. It's not a one-off. It's every day. You know, may, maybe you're in a season of life where your kids are, are what's got you up at night. Okay? It's understandable. God gave them to you for, so you could raise them. Guess what? You need to put them. Uh, you need to submit them to Christ those anxieties. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your love life. Maybe it's your money. Whatever the case may be, it's the everyday material needs more than anything else, most likely, that you need to come and say, God, listen, not my will, but yours be done. I'm trusting you with this. And in place of this anxiety that's, that eats up so much of my life, I mean, I'm in the room with people and I'm really not in the room with people. I'm doing my job, but I'm not. We'd, be, we'd, we'd probably all do a better job at our job if we actually could live out this verse. We'd all be better husbands and wives and friends if we could live out this verse. He said, listen, in place of this anxiety that I spend so much of my time worrying about things, can you add a single inch to your height? It's kind of being sarcastic. Of course you can't. Right? I wish I could, but I can't. Okay? There's a lot of things I can't do. He's saying, well, that's as ridiculous as thinking that you're going to actually change the outcomes or you're going to be able to finally get over this thing in the past. You're wasting your time. But if you can trust me, and then in place of that anxiety, and then the peace of God that passes understanding, God, I want you to fill me with your peace. I want, I want to give my life to you because I think you're a better manager of it than I am. Okay? And I want to live in the present. All right? That's what he's trying to talk about. So I want us to pray, uh, to apply this message uh, this morning. We're going to stand uh, in a minute and sing this song again. Um, our fears have never, can't, don't have a chance where we stand in his love. That's a, that's a lyric to a song, but I want you to really think about it. My fears do not stand a chance. Your fears are real. Your fears are a part of your life. They're a part of my life. And, and, and anyone that says that you should have no fear in your life or anxiety in your life, the Bible doesn't teach that. It's saying it should not run your life. My fears don't have a chance if I choose to stand in his love. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his power, his love. He cares for me. And his righteousness, that is, I'm gonna, he's going to bring about my righteousness. He's my righteousness, not my own. And all these other things that you're when spending so much cycles worrying about, those things will take care of themselves. So I just want to pray, and then we're going to sing. So everyone, let's just bow your heads and pray with me. And first, I want to just talk to everyone in this room as a Christian, like uh, I believe I'm a Christian, right? If you've been a Christ follower for many years, I just want you to think about this. 
is there an area in your life? You don't have to write it down. Don't you think about it. Some of you know it, you've been thinking about it for the last 15 minutes. An area that you are over-focused on. It's an event from the past. It's an uncertainty in the future. It's something that's gnawing at you. Something as small as a, as a big test coming up. Something much bigger about health or about some other big fear that you have, right? The Bible says this. Cast your anxieties on him, right? The only way I know how to do that is in prayer. And I want you to think about it. And I want you in a manner of speaking to do that right now as we pray. But I want you to raise your hand right where you sit. If you'd say, Rob, I have an issue in my life. I'm not going to say what it is, but I want God to see it. Just raise your hand right where you are. Something that I want to cast in a manner of speaking. I want to identify it. And I want you to pray for me. Let's pray. Father, hear our prayers in this room today. Take our anxieties and our burdens and replace them with your peace. A peace that passes our understanding and the challenging circumstances around it. Guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. Now with everyone still in an attitude of prayer, there are others in this room that are holding a deeper burden this morning. It's not anxiety about a situation in your life, but it's about your relationship with God itself. You're not a struggling Christian seeking a greater experience of God's peace. You don't need the peace of God. You need peace with God. You need to receive for once and all Jesus as Savior in your life. If that's your case, right, if that's the case with you, right where you sit, just quietly in your own heart, pray this prayer. God of heaven and earth, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me and to rise with new life for the taking. Make me your child today. Be my Father, my Savior, my Lord. I want to know you and to start living for you. Now, if that's your story, if you prayed that prayer honestly, just where you are, just throw your hand up very quickly. I just want to see it just for me. Thank you. Just throw your up and down high and put it down. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for these men and women across this auditorium who've invited you in to bring a greater peace, to bring a new life. Be with us. May we stand in your love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.